How many of you guys, by show of hands, have been on a foreign missions trip somewhere in the world before? Nice. Wow. A lot of people. It's an awesome experience. Gloria, thanks for sharing that with us. We've had a lot of opportunity recently. Um, Kenny just got back uh, from Indonesia. We just uh, helped send Andy uh, from Restored Church, who was actually supposed to be speaking today, but uh, last minute had to cancel, so stuck with me. Sorry, guys. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to be kicking off our Nehemiah series. Next week, we'll be right back here, same time, same place, and Kenny will continue the series. But we're dipping into Nehemiah. And um, as you turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll also have the uh, scriptures on the stre- screen. We're talking about the great restorer, the great restorer. And I was reminded as I looked at those pictures um, from Zambia how a picture is worth a thousand words. Have you guys ever heard that? I'll show you a picture right now. This is the family I grew up in. Um, We all need restoring at times. Um, That's my mom and my dad. If you haven't met them, the other night we were going through pictures, and I found these two pictures. And I thought, this really sums it all up right here. You know? um, You can tell I had a troubled childhood. Um, so my dad never grew a mustache or beard, um, but these, both of these pictures were from a time we went hunting. And so um, even though this picture may be worth a thousand words, I'm going to explain it to you. Um, so we went hunting, and it was, it was an awesome time. And during this hunting trip, my dad decided to grow his beard out, which I don't know why the light caught him quite like that. But he looks crazy in this picture. He didn't the rest of the time. You notice my mom had a black eye. Um, so the story behind that is this. So we're hunting, and it's snowing. We're up in Montana, Wolf Point, up near the Canadian border. And my mom gets out. She's the only one that hasn't got her deer yet. And we see this beautiful doe standing up on this hillside. So my mom gets out, and she uh, gets her gun ready. And she mounts up there, and she's looking at the doe. And, and we all turn, and, and we watch. And we're ready to see, hear the shot and see what happens. And we hear the shot. Boom! And we see the deer just kind of like look at us. So we're like, Mom, you missed. And I turned around, my mom is gone. (laughs) Where's my mom at? And like we hop out of the car and look down the hill, and my mom has fallen backward all the way down the hill. What happened was she got scoped. If you've ever heard of that, there's a scope on the rifle, and when you do it at an angle, the scope caught her right here in the eye and flipped her backward. So we run down there, my dad grabs the snow, and he's putting it on her eye, and we rush into town, and my dad gets these butterfly bandages, and he's, you know, because there's no hospital up where we're at, apparently, so butterfly bandages are going to have to do, unless we use fishing line to sew her eye back together. So yeah, that's the story of how my mom got the only black eye I've ever seen her with. There are times in life where we all need restoration, Amen. Yes. So that is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, The Great Restorer. Say that with me. The Great Restorer. I want to ask you today to think about which area of your life needs healing. Which area of your life needs restoration. Rebuilding. And we're going to dive in straight into the text. Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. 
And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Say this with me. Damaged, but repairable. Damaged, but repairable. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever gotten bad news that just toppled you over and made you fall over weeping? Have you ever been in trouble or felt shame like life is broken down, like the walls around you are following, just, just falling apart? Everything's horrible. You feel insecure. You feel anxious, unsafe, maybe even just destroyed. Has anybody ever felt that before? Show of hands. I'm thinking about our community even. Our community's gone through a lot of loss recently. From Trevor and Heidi losing precious Mazelle, and in the last three months, just thing after thing has toppled on top of this community. Families struggling, financial situations going bad, people losing their jobs, families moving away. We lost our location at City College, and you know, you just wonder what in the world is going on? Why are things like this? This was not our plan. Or maybe you look around you, just walk outside and walk down the street here in San Diego and you see in our city, in our world, the brokenness, hurting, pain, suffering, addiction. We look within, we look without, we look at our friends, our family, and in our world and it seems like everywhere we look, everything is in shambles and it seems hopeless. Are you tracking? There's been times for me where I've just like felt like giving up. Just like walk away, throw my hands up in the air and say, forget about it. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't take it anymore. In those times, my question to you is where do we turn for hope? Where can we look for restoration and for healing? Because I got news for you today. Life may be damaged, but it's repairable. Maybe you say, it doesn't seem repairable. I've tried and tried, and I hear you. And I wonder, when I read this text, if Nehemiah felt that same way. When I read this passage, I can identify with him in arguably one of Israel's darkest points in history. See, the, the kingdom of Israel just had been like, man, they had had an amazing start. After Saul, David came on the scene and built the city of David, Jerusalem. And his son follows him. David, this, this great man after God's own heart. His son, Solomon, follows him. Wisest man that ever lived. And he builds Solomon's temple, one of the eight wonders of the world. And it's beautiful. It's the glory days of Israel. But what happens at the end of Solomon's life? He gets intoxicated with these, these love affairs of many strange women from strange lands and starts serving strange gods and and. God allows the kingdom of Israel to be divided after Solomon into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. You guys, you guys familiar with this part of the story? And king after king serves false gods. King after king turns away from the true God in order to serve something else. They look to other things for hope to give them the life they want. 
They're looking to all these other lesser gods. And finally, I mean, they're just breaking God's heart. It's almost like uh, a marriage that two people have covenanted together to be together, to love one another, not to, not to go outside of the marriage to seek other things, but it's like these people were in a covenant with God and they just kept cheating on him. They just kept saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And then a few years later, they're right back at it. And God's heart is broken. And eventually what we see in history is that God finally says, you know what, if that's what you want, you can have it. If you want those false gods, I'm going to remove my protection. I'm going to turn you over to them and see how well they protect you. And immediately what happens? The Babylonian Empire, one of the greatest empires the world has ever known, comes in and levels Jerusalem levels it to the ground and leads them away captive. And the famous passage of them laying by the rivers of Babylon and weeping, remembering Zion, remembering Jerusalem, remembering the city that God had given them and how they had walked away from him. And now they were walking away from his grace and and all that he had given them. So by the time Nehemiah rolls around, Israel's been in exile for over 70 years. And now this new king comes in and Nehemiah gets the news that it's worse than ever. And he weeps and he fasts and he mourns. I'll say something about Nehemiah that you've got to admire. Instead of allowing the overwhelming weight of sorrow to crush him, his trust in his God motivated him to do something. You know why? Because in Daniel, there's a scripture that says, they that know their God will be strong and do exploits. And Nehemiah had grown up in exile hearing the stories of Daniel, who would not turn away and not pray to his God and was thrown into a den of lions, but God delivered him. He heard the stories of the three Hebrew children who would not bow down to a false idol, and God saved him from a fiery furnace. He grew up hearing these stories. He knew his God. He knew what his God was capable of. And because of that, he had great faith in his God. But if we aren't careful, we can miss the point about this book. Because the point of this book, and I'm kind of introducing Nehemiah today, the point of this book isn't Nehemiah. I know it bears his name. I know he's a pretty popular guy in this book. But this book is about a lot more than that. There's a lot of people that, there's books that have been written on the lessons of leadership from Nehemiah. And there's some great lessons in here. Nehemiah does, like, lead people back to Israel. He does work on rebuilding the wall. He, he helps, by, by God's help, he points people to God, and Israel's united, and they do this amazing exploits in the face of adversity, in the face of people attacking them in the middle of the night while they're trying to build the wall, and we'll walk through all of this, right? But in the middle of all that, Nehemiah has to keep turning his trust to who? That's right. That guy is on it. Sure, Nehemiah does some awesome stuff, but if this isn't just a morality tale. If we come to this book and we walk away saying, be like Nehemiah, we've missed the point. We're walking away with the wrong message. Rather than mainly focusing on human faithfulness to God, the book of Nehemiah shows us God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people. How many of you are glad that God's faithfulness to you doesn't depend on yours to him? His divine faithfulness is rooted in his covenant promise. If you rewind, talked about Abraham, 
You know, Abraham has his wonderful covenant with God, and God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will bless you, and I will bless the nations of the earth through you. And you fast forward from Abraham to Nehemiah. And what do we see? It is dark. It looks hopeless. God, where's your covenant now? Kathleen Nielsen, who's the director for women's initiatives at Gospel Coalition, said that perhaps at no point in their history had the prospects for his people looked bleaker, with a ruined city to rebuild, with hateful enemies all around, and with sin always threatening from within. And it's at this point of weakness and brokenness that God uses Nehemiah to lead his people toward trust in their strong and trustworthy God. Because with our God, it doesn't matter how damaged and destroyed and forsaken and broken and hopeless it looks, it's repairable. Are you hearing me today? Because with our God, nothing is hopeless. Nothing. So Nehemiah moves forward with trust in this great and marvelous God. How many of you have found God to be trustworthy? How many of you has God healed? Has God delivered from some kind of addiction? Has God broken chains in your life and set you free? That's the kind of God we serve. That's our God, the great restorer, not not Nehemiah. The God of Nehemiah is the great restorer. Nehemiah was God's man in God's time carrying out God's will. But who equipped him? Who empowered him? Who protected Nehemiah and purposed him to go and do this great thing? It's God. God is the star of this book. And my prayer for us in this series is that as we walk through the story of Nehemiah, that this story would be like a signpost that points us to see God. That through this book we would see God and that our hearts would just worship. That we would be amazed at how God can take seemingly impossible situations and turn them around and, and, and bring great glory to his name. See, God is not done with his covenant people. He's not done with them yet. He will accomplish his plan in their life. I'm not sure if you heard me. God will accomplish his plan in your life. It may seem dark. It may seem hopeless. I'm not sure where you're at right now. Maybe things seem great, but you've been there before. And as long as you continue to live, you're going to get there again to times when it seems like life has thrown you a curveball. Like the strong places of your life have, have become rubble, like the walls are broken down and the gates are on fire and you feel ashamed. And if you look anywhere around you, like all the places you would normally look for hope, you can't find it. But God's not done with you yet. He will accomplish his will in your life. God will rebuild the walls. God will in his time and in his way. It may be damaged, but with our God, it's what? Repairable. He's the great rebuilder. Get this. If God has reconciled you, then right now, right now in this moment as you sit here, he is in the process of progressively restoring and rebuilding the damaged areas of your life. And God's not as impatient as we are. He takes his time, doesn't he? In fact, he may allow certain areas of your life to be toppled 
so that we'll turn to him. You may not be able to trace his hand, but as John Piper says, you can trust his heart. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know why you're going through it. I don't know why New City has gone through this time of trial and trouble. And if we look around us for hope, the prospects may look bleak, but it's not up to us. Amen? It's up to him. I'm feeling Pentecostal right now. Watch out. The restoration and the healing don't depend on us or anything that we're used to looking to. It's up to God. He is the healer. He's the master builder. And he will restore in his way and his time. And he will accomplish his plan for you. Pull up that next picture of my mom. It took a long time for my mom's eye to heal. That's, that's what she looks like. Yeah. Always got that smile. Uh, look how pretty she looks now. But, you know, it took a long time. It was painful. It hurt. But God did it. It probably didn't heal as fast as she would have liked it to, but God did it. And God never leaves his projects unfinished. Amen? At the end of this book, we have this amazing picture of God doing a work in spite of the ongoing issues and struggles. We see God is going to unite as we track through Nehemiah. God's going to unite Israel under Nehemiah in the face of overwhelming odds. God's going to bring his people home to Israel from captivity. He rebuilds, he heals, he restores. He does a work none of them could do on their own. But here's an interesting point. You know in the book Climaxes, the, like the big point of the book, isn't when the wall's finished. The book finishes, the big climax, the crescendo of it all, is, is at this point when the people come together and they worship. They worship God for what he's done. The Lord has spoken, and what he has said will not fail. So they trust in that, and they come together and worship. As we see people rebuilding so imperfectly, and they seem to be only sustained by God's faithful promise, we can't help but look ahead at God's people today. Say, that's us. That's, come on, say it again. That's us. This book speaks directly to us today, to New City. That's why I'm excited we're jumping into it. Why? Because Scripture says that we are also being built up by God. 1 Peter 2 says that God is building himself a house. And he's not working with physical stones, but we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. See, the master builder is at work right now. He's at work in your life. He's at work in this community. He's at work in this city all around us, no matter how dark and bleak it seems. No matter how many walls have fallen down. Take a second and just look around you in, in the room and at the different faces, if you will. Humor me. See all the lovely smiles? These are the... <laughs> thank you, Daryl. <laughs> These are the faces of the lives that God is busy restoring right now the living stones that God is using to build his house. None of us are exempt, and life hurts. Restoration isn't always the most comfortable or convenient thing. How many of you guys have been to the doctor and had like a broken bone? Anybody? How many of you enjoyed the process of having that bone set? Anybody? <laughs> Brian. <laughs> How many broken bones was it at the end of the day? Three. Yeah, one fall, three broken bones. And then you get the cast on, 
and it itches. And they give you that little cool scratcher that you can stick down the leg of the cast. And it hurts, and you're waiting, and you're like impatient. When is this going to finish? How much longer, Lord? And Nehemiah's people, they can identify with that, that the waiting, that the healing, like honestly, it sucks. It takes a long time, and it's frustrating. They were waiting and waiting for a promised Savior. And guess what? The book of Nehemiah ends, and they're still waiting. In fact, as we sit here today and we look back down a timeline, we see it was like 400 years after Nehemiah that that promise finally came true. That the word became flesh, as we talked about in John, and dwelt among us. And Jesus Christ came, and the Savior came down. But the book closes, and they're still waiting. And even as we see and worship Jesus, we still identify with these people, Nehemiah, because as God's people today, we are waiting. We're waiting for him to return, like the song said earlier. And while we do, we still suffer. We feel pain. We hurt. And we wonder how much longer we still fight enemies. So what is our ultimate hope today? And that's what I want to close with. I want you to think about. A couple of weeks ago, I was able to preach from Hebrews 11. A chapter that lines out the heroes of the faith. And it talks about Abraham who left everything that he knew. And Hebrews 11 verse 10 says this. Why did Abraham leave everything, his comfort, everything behind? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Let me ask you a question. Did Abraham ever see that city in his lifetime? No, he didn't, did he? So what was Abraham's hope? In fact, look at what the end of the chapter says about all these heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11. And all of these, Abraham, Moses, no, he just goes right down the chapter. Every single person mentioned in the Bible, all of them, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? If you see yourself as the master builder, if you see yourself as the great restorer, if you see yourself as the one who has to pull it together and make your plan happen and bring to fruition all of your hopes and dreams, is, is, is that going to happen? No way. You may have a vision of what restoration looks like. You may have a place you're pointing your hope to in this life. Some people are looking for heaven on earth. I think in some sense we all are. But is that what is promised? Here's what's promised. What's promised is something infinitely greater. Because God's hopes and dreams for you are bigger than yours. God's hopes and dreams for you in your life are bigger and better than yours. And they aren't finished when your life is. They're eternal. Amen? I got an amen on that one. And our trust in him gives us a lasting joy. See, because if we hope in things that are temporary and we hope that this situation will work out and that we'll get that job and that when this happens, everything's going to be awesome. If that's what our hope is in, then our hope is temporary. And it may or may not happen the way we want it to work out, doesn't it? 
But lasting joy is yours today because it's not rooted in something you can build. It's rooted in the master builder and something he's building. It's not in your ability to accomplish your will, but it's in his ability to accomplish his will for you. Our joy isn't in our timing or our ways, but in his. It's in something eternal, not something that's temporary. Paul says, if we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied above everyone. But if your hope is in the great restorer, you will pass from this life with joy and childlike anticipation like waiting for Christmas morning. Can't wait to see what God has for you. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you won't experience healing in your life. You will. God is at work right now healing parts of your life, building up the broken foundation, restoring things, putting out the fires, defeating the enemies. But all of those, that, those are like a signpost that point us to our ultimate hope in him as the master builder. Amen? You know, if you look at, show that picture one more time. My mom's eye. This picture is going to haunt you, I think. If you look close at my mom's eye, uh, you can't really see it here, but on my computer you could. There's still a little half moon scar. She still get, feels it pinch when the weather turns and it starts to rain. But there's coming a day when my mom's going to be fully healed. There's coming a day where there's not going to be any more scar tissue, where there's not going to be any more pain. And I know that's kind of a trite comparison to the trials that we go through. But how many of you still feel some scar tissue in your heart or in your life or in your soul from things that have happened? Maybe some of the things going on in your life, maybe it's like a gaping wound. Or maybe God's healed it, but it just doesn't feel like it did one time. Maybe you don't feel as whole. But there's coming a day that Jesus Christ is going to return. And he's going to restore everything. He's going to make everything right. The pain that you felt, the heartache you felt, the wounds that people have done, the things you've done to others. And it's going to be a new day. How many of you guys are looking forward to that day? So I want to... I want to ask you to point your heart and your worship and your hope to Jesus right now. And we're going to close. Actually, maybe you can stand with me and close your eyes. I want to ask you, what area of your life is in need of healing? What area of your life is in need of restoring and rebuilding? Are you ready to trust that to the master builder, to the great physician? Are you ready because right now, I, I don't know if this is the first time you may place your faith in Christ or if it's the hundred and first time that you may put your hope in Him. But I want to ask you today, can you surrender to Him as the great restorer? And as we take communion today, I want to encourage you to confess your area of need. That, that area that you've been reminded today needs restoration and healing. And remind one another of Christ's sufficiency how in the gospel he's met that need. We you close your eyes, I want to pray over you. Father, we thank you that you are the great restorer. That in Jesus Christ, you have restored everything that has been broken in our life. That you are at work healing every part of us. 
that you've reconciled us to the Father, our, our greatest need. You have given us life eternal. And that you've given us a certain hope that one day you will return and make all things right. And I pray that today, if someone is overwhelmed with anxiety, that Holy Spirit, you would point their heart to, to you who is, who is sovereign and in control, who is at work rebuilding their life. I pray that as we gather around in groups of, of three and four, whether we're in gospel communities or DNAs, that if someone's having a hard time letting go of the past, things they've done, things others have done to them, God, that you would point them to you and your gracious heart, that you've forgiven even the worst offenses, that you've chosen to see us through Christ's perfection instead of our own. Give us the wisdom, God, as we gather together to really help those who feel hopeless and feel like situations are insurmountable, to remind them that our glorious God is greater than anyone or anything and that they can turn to him and trust. But most of all, Lord, remind us that you are rebuilding our lives, healing us, restoring us. Have your way in this community and let us be a place, God, when people come in that they feel the joy of our salvation, that they feel the hope that is resounding in this place as we sing songs to you. As we gather together in gospel community throughout the week, let people come in and, and realize that there's something different about us, not because we have the coolest hair, although some of us do, but that we have the coolest God, that our hope is in you, that you take the worst situations and you turn them around for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn some music on. I'm just going to invite you guys to come and gather. There's uh, wine and bread. Come and gather in some uh, groups around the altar and, and just feel free to